sounds dope. It's perfect. Shh, 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 shh. Do you hear that? It's the winds of change. Stick this in your ear. The number one, the number one internet shock radio network. Shock me, shock me, shock me with that deviant behavior. Renegade, renegade talk radio. This is where we hold them. This is where we fight. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Those who do work are denied a fair return for their labor by a tax system which penalizes successful achievement and keeps us from maintaining full productivity. It is no coincidence that our present troubles parallel and are proportionate to the intervention and intrusion in our lives that result from unnecessary and excessive growth of government. Renegade Nation, I'm your host, Carl Higby, saving this nation one episode at a time. Folks, before we jump into it today, I want to start off with a Muslim moment. That's me in the corner. That's me in the spotlight. Losing my religion. Folks, from the Daily Caller, a Muslim student pitches a fit over these awesome Halloween costumes, and the picture depicts... The Navy SEAL team capturing Osama bin Laden. They had a couple of students in camouflage and one dressed up in Muslim garb. Uh, the title was Halloween 13 America. A-M-U-R-R-I-C-A. America. Uh, the photo shows these students all, you know, ready to roll, dressed up and uh, acting hardcore and holding up an American flag in the background. Now, the Washington student, Maharo... Why can't they have normal names? Uh, Jahana Gaguri? I don't know. Whatever. Read it on the Daily Caller. Uh, later objected to the photo because she views mimicking the American military's killing of Osama bin Laden as hateful and a Muslim stereotype. You dolt. Uh, we did hate Osama bin Laden. Uh, he killed thousands of Americans. So, yes, it is hateful. That's the point. Because we hated him. Now, I'm not calling... Muhara Jagav, whatever she is. I'm not calling her Osama bin Laden. I mean, this is... She said, as a Muslim American who has been subject to taunts of dirty Paki and get the F out of WU and America on this campus, the reasons why this photo are offensive to me are painfully obvious and represent a broader, more aggressive and apparently violent Islamophobia rampant here on Wash U in the United States. This, you know what? She just needs to get over it. I have no problem with Muslims in America. Well, yeah, I have no problem with Muslims in America here. As long as they conform to being Americans. I don't, you know, if they're going to run around with a towel on their head, I'm going to act suspicious because they're identifying themselves 
as Muslim. And you were, they were distinctly saying, look at me, I'm Muslim. You know, they, she also said, this photo makes costume of lives of thousands of civilian Muslim men who have been murdered during the war on terror and the countless others who have been mutilated, robbed, and stabbed to death in hate crimes across the United States. She also ranted this on Facebook. This is ridiculous. She doesn't want it to be tolerated. So, what does the Washington University board do? The officials from the school have now sided with her. They have sided with her. They are very disappointed. You know what? Folks, kids who did this Halloween costume, good on you. Fantastic. I like it. And you know what? I laughed. And I got to hand it to the caller for putting up the title, Muslim Student Pitches a Fit Over These Awesome Halloween Costumes. Because that's the name of the... uh, That's what it is. It's an awesome Halloween costume. And normal people would just laugh it off. But we're in such a sensitive nation. And what is this girl's name? Mohara Jaga Jaga, whatever. Jaga, Jaga, not going to work here anymore. Uh, is, you know, way beyond her. You know, what, what, you know, if she wants to voice her opinion, fine. I don't care. But to get people to side with her and say that you can't dress up for Halloween, that's what you're supposed to do. That is what you're supposed to do. Normally, Halloween, though, has been reserved for women to wear as little clothing as possible. Folks, I want to shift right into it, though. With Veterans Day coming up, I wrote an op-ed for the Daily Caller, and uh, I believe this link will be posted on there, but I want to cover that in greater detail here in the show. Um, Ronald Reagan said, we're in greater danger today than we were the day after Pearl Harbor. Our military is absolutely incapable of defending this country. Kind of scary. Kind of scary, considering that the Japanese, before they bombed us, stood at over 6 million men strong, and the Germans at well over 10 million. We had, I believe it was under 2 million in our armed forces at the time. That's crazy. So, how did we overcome this? How did we win this war? I mean, there's sort of the obvious answer, which is the atomic bomb. The... We won because we're better. We strive to be better. The American exceptionalism, the unchained drive to innovate. You know, the the American military and the American soldier is the most badass weapon this world has ever seen. In this article, I want to go over it a little bit about what it was because we're being chained now. We're being indoctrinated and forced to, to dumb it down. Like the things with the Muslim heads up. Which, by the way, that uh, Muslim moment, I, I I wanted to take that from Quinn and take credit from that, but uh, Quinn and Rose really gave me the idea for that. Uh, if you go, guys don't listen to them, definitely get over there and listen to them. Every morning out of Pittsburgh, 6 to 9 a.m. Anyway, back to it. You know, when, when in World War II, we didn't have this, this massive overburdened force. We had... Normal people like you and I, you know, they got up every morning, they put their boots on, they went to work, you know, farmers, fishermen, mechanics, and they came in to the military at a time of war and they brought with them the common sense and free thought. They brought with them the entrepreneurship and the the independent thinking outside the box that our our enemies didn't have. 
These now, currently today, I can say unequivocally that our military lacks qualities that we had in World War Two. You know, our no doubt our military is made of good people, and they all want to make a difference, but. It is not the same quality fighting force as we were during World War II. It has become this mindless political bureaucracy, and it thwarts the young service member. It's leading to a weaker military. It's so political now. You can't do what it takes. I spoke to a gentleman the other day. He was a uh, lieutenant colonel, army and he uh, he was an intel guy at the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and he, he they asked him why he was why, why they couldn't win the war and why why they were having trouble winning over the Iraqi people. So he wrote a thesis on it, pretty much, and said you can't use Western democracy to understand Muslim people. They, they or they radical Islam. It, it doesn't work. They they're on two different wavelengths. They don't think like us, and they're savages, pretty much, is what he said. And he was gone the next day. Instead of accepting the facts and understanding what is actually going on, the military is just happy to push you down the road and say, well, have a nice day. While I was in, I, I saw tons and tons of some of the smartest men I've ever seen get sidelined, brushed aside. Their opinion's not taken into consideration. Folks, when I was in, I showed up at SEAL Team 10, and they said, here, we need you to test this gun. So myself and a bunch of other, actually more experienced guys went out there, and we ran this thing through the gauntlet between swimming and rolling around the sand and shooting and banging and throwing it. We tried everything. And we came back, we said, this gun is a complete piece of junk. We don't want it. They said, thank you for your survey. We appreciate it. But we're not going to listen to a word you guys just said. And they bought... Hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of them anyway. Well, why did you make us do... First of all, why did you make me crawl through the ocean and sand in December in Virginia Beach? It's not warm. Thank you. All for nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It, it goes to think that, that ever-widening gap of... The people who make the decisions on who to go to war with and the ones who actually go to war. Uh, I was... This is a, a terrible example. But the thing is here, and, and this is happening, is because our promotion system is a disaster. And the promotion system in the military is completely upside down. It's inefficient, unpredictable, and random. You know, and people's careers can stall for no fault of their own sometimes. We, we, we live in a system in the military where many of the best who enlist or seek a commission only serve for a few years. Because they move on to civilian life in pursuit of a meritocracy. Because they want to be in the capitalist workforce. And we're losing. We're losing the best guys. You know, and unfortunately, the, the career soldiers and sailors, and just like the politicians, they turn into these bureaucratic zombies. All they care about, career before country. There's very few that stay that are worth anything. They, they evolve into these rulers of laws rather than leaders of men. And this, this 
became very apparent with my last article that I wrote for the Daily Caller, where the off-the-cuff order tried to say, the Navy Jack is banned, the don't tread on me flag, in the SEAL teams, the patch. And then when the article was written, now I didn't give out any names, but um, the Navy denied it, completely flat-out denied it. Then uh, I believe it was Navy Times found the guy's name, and they were able to try to get a statement, at least from his command, and they said, oh, it was a misunderstanding amongst the chief's mess. Oh, so now it went from a complete flat-out no to a misunderstanding. Well, that sounds familiar. Sounds a lot like the health care bill right now. Don't forget, folks, the military is still part of the government. It is virtually impossible to hold them accountable to anything. But then an additional email surfaced an additional order that said, all right, guys, put it back on. Which proves that they had been told to take it off. Put it back on. And then we couldn't get a statement out of them. And it's this rear leadership. They're willing to just put out an order, irregardless, they don't think about it. This is Navy heritage. Why would I ban this? There was no reason to ban it. Because it was banned, whether they say it was or it wasn't. They've already lost their credibility once by banning it, and then by having uh, denying it, and then having another statement again. I mean, <laughs> this is our leadership. People are dying out there. They're worried about a stupid flag? Come on. This is ridiculous. And when I say stupid flag, I don't mean the flag is stupid, but the issue of it is really dumb. These military leaders just scourge free thinking and they institute this mindless, dumb stuff. And most people are like, what? A lot of people are really upset with that. And they're crushing the military with the weight of their bureaucratic machinery. Folks, if you haven't read my book, Battle on the Home Front, I talked about a lot of this in my military chapter. And many reviews of my book says I saved my harshest criticism for the top brass of the military. And I did. I was very hard on them. But keep in mind, I was still active when that book came out. So I was somewhat constrained on what I could say. I I was tough on them, but I had to be somewhat reasonable. And I had to hide some things that I really wanted to say. Now, I believe that we as a country can help change this through political pressure and also pushing people into the military with the right idea and getting people into office who are going to change the system. The big things we need to change here, the promotion system, hands down. That is completely sideways. Retirement, service obligations, and civilian employee contracts. Those must be changed. And some of these we can do relatively quickly, and a lot of them are going to be uphill battles. But in my column, I talk about the article. It says, Why Our Best Officers Are Leaving. And it's written, it was published in the Atlantic Magazine, written by Tim Kaine, actually. Uh, and he really hit the nail on the head here. He summed it up. Why the best officers are actually getting out of the military. And he he talks about it in great depth, and I do too. I, I, I can't agree more with his, his analysis. And when I was in the military, we used to talk about this all the time. Everybody had a, something to say about it. Everybody was angry. And then a lot of the same guys that I talked with about it who were angry, they said nothing 
when it came down to making these decisions on that on a scale that mattered. You know, I suggest changing these areas. Four four areas. And maybe five if you include the education for officers. But I think I, I think all five are pretty key components. But folk, when, when we get back, we're gonna start off, we're gonna kick it off live with the promotion system. All right. But don't go anywhere. You are listening to Renegade Nation with Carl Higby. This is the sound of freedom. I was in chronic pain. And my family struggling to make ends meet, food and gas prices going up, even keeping my job was iffy. Then I learned about a new miracle drug made in Washington, D.C. Spend it all. Spend it all is Washington's answer to all the painful problems Americans face. How to borrow $800 billion for a stimulus that didn't create jobs or fix the economy? Spend it all. Spenditol is not for everyone. Side effects may include a mountain of government debt piled on our kids, a sudden loss of freedoms, higher prices for everything, leaving our kids a lesser America than we had. Ask your doctor or congressman if your conscience is strong enough for Spenditol. And it's so popular in Washington, we have to borrow, I mean import, trillions more of it from China. Spenditol makes you feel better now and pushes off the really bad stuff till later for them to deal with. Call the White House and Congress. Tell them, stop spending it all. Looking for a verbal hand job? Release your frustrations and listen to Blunt Talk on Renegade Talk Radio. Welcome back, Renegade Nation. Sorry we had to take a quick break. Uh, Appreciate Rich and Marla plugging all that music and commercials and everything for me. Um, Folks, before we left, we were talking about the military and how screwed up the system is becoming through the mindless bureaucratic BS. I want to get, jump right back into the promotion system. This is completely backwards. And if private sectors functioned like this, you would have idiots running the, the economy. Well, I shouldn't say you would have even more idiots running the economy right now. Um, now, as I said earlier, the best guys leave or guys and gals. They leave. They can achieve more in less time in the private sector. They're, and there's substantially more financial rewards. It's the way it works is you reach caps and there's a zone. So the if I'm you know Lieutenant Schmo, I need to be in for X amount of years before I can be Lieutenant Commander Schmo. It doesn't matter how much I excel at my job; I just have to be in for time and rank to be eligible for that promotion. Now, simply put, this is. Time is key, not effort or talent. Do you want your sons and daughters serving under people who've just been around? In the free market, if the job is open and someone applies and they're reasonably qualified, there's a potential they can get it, irregardless of their time in. Presumably, the best man or woman gets hired. Now, that's not necessarily true in the military. The free market doesn't care about Zones. All they care about is, can you do the job? And that's what the military should be focused on because we are a, a an organization of life and death. So why not incorporate these principles into the military? Do away with zones. Who cares about time and rank? Obviously, you need to have some time. You need to have some experience, but... Look what the military has to gain from something like this. A free market promotion system would help retain 
the most talented people and accelerate them to the top. And you'd have rational, intelligent people that actually cared about the country rather than just their career. Now, I'm not saying everybody just cares about their career up there, but a good number of them. And they do things that even off to the side, they say, oh, this is really stupid. That That would happen much less. Talent and ability would prevail. Folks, the eval system is the real problem here. The eval system is so broken. And right now, most people, for my last six years in the military, so I guess the majority of my career, I wrote my own evals. And my chief would just sign off on it, and that was that. I can't tell you, and I cite this in the article as well, how many times I've sat in a promotion board that says, well, who's going to get sale of the year this year? Let's go down the list. Hmm. Well... You know, Sailor A, B, and C have really done well this year, and uh, they're wow. They're, yeah, they've excelled, and they're they're they've gone to these schools, they've gotten all this. They I, they deserve this promotion, or they deserve this uh, award so they can get promoted. Oh wait, wait, hold on. Those guys are all getting out. No, no, no. no. We got to give it to Sailor D because he needs it for promotion. And he's staying in, so we shouldn't waste it on the good guys. Well, kind of makes the w- reward irrelevant. Kind of makes it in just a political trophy. I say, why don't we have four components to your eval? Instead of a stupid test you take now, which is in the Navy you take a dumb test, which is virtually nothing. I mean, it's all about your rate and rank, but a written test doesn't depict how well you do your job. So I say they abolish the test and go with a... Uh, an evaluation service of you know uh, your subordinates, your superiors, your peers, and the fourth would be your physical. Because no matter how you twist it, ladies and gentlemen, the military is a physical organization in the business of war. At any time, any soldier, sailor, marine, coastman, whatever, they could be fighting by your side. So why not have a system where? Physical fitness is rewarded. Folks, right now, the Navy standards are so pathetic. It's If you're 30 years old, I'm 30 years old. I have like, I think it's something like 16 minutes or something to run the mile and a half. And I have to do like 40 push-ups and 40 sit-ups or some, some really low number like that. And don't quote me on that exact number, but that's really bad. There's no special tests for SEALs or anything. It's We're thrown into the Navy standard. We used to have our own test. But, irregardless, if you're on a ship, God forbid that ship gets uh, you know shot up or blown up and you need to perform and you need to fight, I don't think a 16-minute mile is going to cut it. I don't think it should be different for different age groups either. It should all be the same. You're all going to war. You're all going to battle. You're all going to deployments. Why does it change well back to the promote uh, the uh, evals right now you write your own eval and you have you know your chief sign off on it and that's pretty much it you generally and then they rank you according to who who you know who's buddy buddy whose turn it is and it doesn't really matter how well you do with the team I mean everybody knows this who's in the military or especially the navy so 
if we had a peer, superior, and subordinate eval, this would erase a lot of the turds. Maybe not erase them, but it would stall their promotion. They wouldn't be in charge for for sure. Because your peers know you pretty well, generally. Your subordinates, they work for you. So if they see some ass bag that can't do his job, who's incompetent and is doing everything wrong, they're going to reflect that in their evaluation of you. Then your superiors, obviously, you know, most people suck up to their superiors, so that's that's who's signing off in the evals now, and look at how great it's working. This would encourage good men and women to stay and turds to leave. We're in the business of war again, ladies and gentlemen. Don't we want the best person for the job? Not the moon bat who's been around the longest? There, there needs to be more stringent more, more, more stringent process on how you choose the command leadership as well. Now, many leaders are in those positions because they drank the Kool-Aid. They checked the right boxes. And a lot of them were more interested in putting bullets in an eval than bullets in a bad guy. And they put a lot of time into their paper record, and that's why they're there. Because when it came to promotion board, they saw a paper record, and it looked good. You know, I talked about it earlier with the Navy Jack patch. The, the, the Navy flat out denied it. But really what happened was is somebody actually issued that order. Somebody out of line. But these, these problems are just forgotten about. And the problem continues. And often with the same people. Folks, if you're like me, you're, you're probably stunned. You're like, whoa, the American military is just screwed up. Yeah, I haven't even brushed the surface. And turds take care of turds. That's how it goes. And a friend of mine, Guy Rushenthaler, had a great suggestion. Um, and he said, what if commanding officers were able to pick their teams, much like the NFL drafts their players? Unworthy officers would be branded as unworthy, and they wouldn't be chosen, they wouldn't be picked. And if you're not picked, then you'd be removed from your occupation, fired, just like a real job. Tim Tebow, good player. He just wasn't picked. Sucks. Small price, though. Look at the NFL is a obviously the premier football team of the world, and they're phenomenal athletes. You know, it sucks. And you'd have the Tim Tebows out there that would occasionally get dropped, and yeah, well, it's still better than our current process. Your CO would essentially be the coach, and the rank above him would be the team owner. Obviously, it would take some some years to try to process the turds that are in out of there. But this is the bureaucratic system that promotes the men and women who serve in the military. It's pretty crazy. Now, here's something that... I'm not as passionate about, but uh, a lot of people are, and it's our retirement system. The retirement system is insane. It's really odd. If you think about it, what private 
agency or company or anything has a system like this. If you're in the military, you can retire 50% of your pay after 20 years, 75% after 30 years. And at 25, there's some some of their algorithm um, somewhere in between. But this includes full benefits, adjustments for inflation, everything. So, and this is a paycheck you're going to get for the rest of your life. But you only do it if you get 20 years plus. And a lot of people know this. So what they do is they hit that 16, 17 year mark and maybe their heart's not in it, but they're like, well, I got to do it and I only got to hit 20. And once they do, they're certain to get those benefits. But they coast. It, It really, for the last four to five years, many of my friends who have done this, they're tired of it. And they just say, oh, man, come on, three years to go. I just got to reenlist. I got to try something. You know, and while changing the retirement system may seem drastic or harsh now, especially with those people close to it, you got to consider the looming economic impact of the flaws of the system we have now. How are we going to float these pensions? The system encourages members to become complacent after 20 years and just go along with the system. Or up to that point, because it's like, just go with it. You know, I only got three years left. Why make waves? Why change? try to change things? Well, you know what? That's not a good way. How does the private sector work? 401k. This 401k is matched by your employer. This is not true in the military. They have this TSP crap, the, uh, what was it, thrift savings plan. But... They don't contribute anything back. It's basically just a savings account. You know, the military puts all its investment into your retirement, which doesn't invest for 20 years. And a lot of people don't even get it because they can't take it. The system robs the service member of all the financial options. You're basically a slave to the bureaucratic machine until you hit 20 years. But also the, the military in you know non-judicial punishment or which is NJP captain's mass things like that or courts martial they they will use your retirement over your head especially if you're close i have a friend this happened to they'll use retirement to get you to bend over backwards and and do things that you normally wouldn't do they make people compromise based on their retirement now this is seen a lot and if everyone's seen there's been a major downsize of the military they mask this by calling it perform to serve. Now, there can only be so many people in each rank of each specific job. So if your job is full, it's impossible for you to make rank. If you can't make rank, the military gets rid of you because they said you weren't performing. I see a acute problem with this. <laughs> so you could be the most stand-up dude in the world. If there's too many people in your rank that are just floating around... Wasting time, wasting taxpayer dollars, waiting for their retirement, then you're not going to make rank. It's not fair. You have people that are down below that need to make rank because they're better at the people who are currently running the show. But they can't because that guy or girl is sitting there doing nothing. We have to change this. We have to go to the 401k. It would, it, it would really change the whole dynamic of who stays in and who gets out.
there was an Army Colonel Lawrence uh, over in Afghanistan. He wrote an article regarding his job, and he stood up, and he was almost immediately dismissed for it. They wanted to can him almost instantly. I think they, they sent him back to the States almost instantly. And he wrote this article, and uh, it says, I've been assigned as a staff officer to a headquarters in Afghanistan for about two months. During that time, I have done... I have not done anything productive. Fortunately, little of substance is really done here, but that is a task we do well. A colonel in the army is making over a hundred grand, and he's writing about not doing anything for two months in Afghanistan. But it gets better. He says uh, he's talking about the command that he's assigned to, and um, and how bloated it was. He said. Uh, International Joint Command was founded in late 2009 to coordinate operations among all regional commands in Afghanistan. More likely, it was founded to provide some general a three-star command. Starting with a small group of dedicated intelligence officers, IJC, or International Joint Command, because everything has to be a three-letter acronym, has been successful has successfully grown into a stovepiped and bloated organization, top heavy in rank. Around here, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a colonel. Now, folks, a colonel is a very high rank. It's an O six. It's commanding officer and above level. This is absolutely insane. You know, I I break in the article to talk about one part. Here. Um, this is another example of how the military just stovepipes in the stovepipe is a few years back there was an order went out to close all these bases all over Virginia um, and they said well we're going to save all this money almost nothing was done and very very little money I don't think any money was saved but probably costs money in fact through reorganization uh, Virginia Beach example, there's two separate bases. There's the Little Creek base, which I was stationed at when I was there, and there's the Fort Story base, which is a training base. It has some EOD and a couple Army things going on there. One was, you know, we were, one was called Naval Amphibious Base, Little Creek, and the other was called Fort Story. Now, during the base closures, Fort Story was to be shut down, and technically it was on paper. But what the people really did here is... They made both bases into one base, changed the name to the Joint Expeditionary Base Little Creek, and both sites now, not bases, both sites stayed open. Nothing changed except for the $1,000 signs out front and an additional commanding officer to oversee the two locations, no longer bases, two locations. So Colonel Lawrence is on to something. He continued to rap on these guys. He said, each day is guided by the battle rhythm, which is a series of PowerPoint briefings and meetings with PowerPoint presentations. It doesn't matter how inane or useless the briefing or meeting might be once it's part of the battle rhythm and has the presence of carbon-14. You have to laugh. You scroll down the article. None of the information provided makes any indemnable impact on any of the generals. Standard operating procedures to send everything you have. Volume is considered the equivalent of quality. That old phrase, quality not or quantity not, was it quality not quantity? The military's got it backwards once again. Imagine that, and, and this goes back. Why in the private sector? You know, you still have dumb stuff like this, but in the private sector, you don't have these problems as much. So, if you, if the meeting is not needed, they don't have the meeting. This is entirely accurate, though. And this is how many, any, those of you who are listening, Renegade Nation, if you've been in the military, I'm sure you know, like, I got to go to this brief, I got to go to that brief, blah, blah, blah. 
Well, the colonel comes back down and he says, um, you know, hey, when it gets too top-heavy in one organization, we need to make room for new promotion boards. We need to make room for new people to make rank. So he said, the next month, IJC will attempt a giant leap for mankind. In a first-of-its-kind effort, IJC will embed a new stovepipe into an already existing stovepipe. Renegade Nation, for those of you who don't know what a stovepipe is, it's a, a measure of redundancy. It's an unneeded kink in the hose, if you will. So, stovepipe refers to, um, you know, a double-walled pipe. So, he said, the rationale behind this bold move resides in the fact that an officer who's currently without one needs a staff of 35 people to create a big splash before his promotion board. Like most military organizations, structure always trumps function. Yep. Pretty much. But once this command is created... It's a perpetual cycle because that command will overload. And everybody who gets there will be groundbreaking and, and founding a new command. And they'll all make the next rank. And then that place will be top-heavy. And down the line, they'll have to make another one and another one and another one. And once they are built, once these bureaucratic speed bumps of garbage are built, it's nearly impossible to get rid of them. No matter what the functional reconstruction needs are of the military or the current operating theater, to get rid of a command is nearly impossible. Folks, i got to take another quick break. We'll be right back to discuss service obligation. You're listening to Renegade Talk, Renegade Nation. This is Hig, back in a flash. Stick this in your ear. The number one, the number one internet shock radio network. Shock me, shock me, shock me with that deviant behavior. Renegade, Renegade Talk Radio. And welcome back, folks. You're listening to Renegade Nation. I'm your host, Hig. <sighs> back to it. Service obligation. Folks, this may seem a little dry, and you may not believe half the stuff that's coming out of my mouth right now, but believe it. It's the way it is. And if someone tells you it's not like that, it's because they are the headshed and they are part of the problem. So, what is service obligation? Well, service obligation, it's when you enter the service, you have to sign for, you know, what is it, four years or eight years or six well i don't think they, i don't know anything for eight years but i think they have like a six years is the longest one i think that's for uh, some of the specialty programs um now this this can be reasonable if you go to buds and the military invest millions of dollars to train you they're going to want to retain you for a certain amount of time just like uh you know some of these companies if you go to ma- you get your masters through them and they pay for it they're going to want to keep you for a little while so i can understand that but you know if you're joe schmo on a boat and you have little to no skills that are you know, expensive or, you know, almost no skills that have been paid for in full by the Navy. You know, the, the four year signing thing, you get $5,000 bonus. Eh, okay. But I think, I think military personnel should be allowed to leave the military at any time during their, you know, at any time, because just like a regular job, you can give your two weeks notice and you're gone. Now, I think there's some exceptions to this. Um, you know, during times of war, yes, declared by Congress, not by the president, just doing what he wants, but immediately leading up to or during a deployment, because, you know, obviously you're part of a moving machine at that point. And if you have special programs, I, you know, like I said earlier, 
uh, being a SEAL, flight training, you know, obviously Naval Academy, you go to four years of college, they're going to want a little bit out of you. So if you removed the civilian, I mean, excuse me, the, uh, the service obligation, the military would actually have to work to persuade people. They'd have to care about their men more than they currently do. I'm not saying they don't care, but I'm saying that morale is really never on the top of anything. Ever. So, imagine if the military would work... How many people would ha- would actually stay, though? Too, if you think about it, you know, in 2008 and nine, when I was in, uh, when I was just getting out, was in between 2009-2012 was this massive exodus and it was because the guys just weren't happy the guys were miserable I mean my last deployment we saw we got court-martialed for prisoner abuse our committing officer took a prisoner's word over ours over eight decorated Navy SEALs he took a terrorist word and we went to court-martial over it so guys got out and that, that, that kind of thing does not win guys over does not want make guys want to stay. You know, this happened to me at the bank. I deposited a large chunk of cash. I sold a large piece of equipment from one of my businesses and I deposited the cash. Now, out of the $20,000 or $17,000, I forget what it was, 1300 of it was fake. Now, the bank was ridiculously a pain in the ass about it. They didn't give me any any type of written receipt that they had taken my money because it was counterfeit. They confiscated the bills. And they, they, they treated me very poorly. This was Bank of America. They treated me terribly. And, you know, they didn't call me the criminal or anything, but they pretty much brushed me off and said, yeah, you're on your own. Sorry. Sorry about your $1,300. You don't get anything from us. No receipt. No refund. No nothing. So you know what I did? I took my business and left Bank of America. And with service obligation in place that keeps you from doing that. It's like having a contract. Even though oftentimes the military will break their end of the contract. Whether it be, oh, if you stay, we'll get you to the school. How many times I've heard, guys, I used to help mentor the program to get guys to go to BUDS, which is SEAL training. And they said, well, if you just sign for two more years, we'll get you a contract to BUDS. Well, they'd sign for two more years and poof, no contract to BUDS. This is what I'm talking about. You folks would have to work. The military would have to want to keep people. They'd have to do their best to try to retain the people. The next thing I would change in the military is the civilian employee structure. This is killing me. This, the civilian employee structure is amazing. Uh, they do virtually nothing. I mean, anybody who's been in the military has been to the Navy Personnel Service Detachment or whatever it is, PSD. If you were in the military, you probably just banged your head on the desk when you heard me say this. Because this place is worthless. And it's ran by civilians. The majority of the people in there are civilians. And you know what they are? Before they were civilians, they were like an E3 in the Navy and they got out and now they're getting a work of a civilian job making even more money. Folks, in 2008, federal workers earned an average. This is according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. In 2008, federal workers earned an average of $67,691 for occupations that exist both in government and private sector. That's a federal worker. Now, in the same year, 
According to the same data, the average pay for the same mix of jobs in the private sector was only $60,046. And the most recent data available at that time. Now, in the civilian sector, there's no guarantee for employment. And you can be fired at any time. And there shouldn't be... That, that's, that should reign in the military, too. If you're a, a civilian working for the DOD, the military, the government, whatever... Why a? Why should you get paid more and have a virtually guaranteed job? Because it is virtually impossible to fire somebody. Now, it's I mean it literally is just like the military. And let me give you a quick example here. Uh, when I was in the military, I had a pay dispute when I checked into my new command. I was being shorted, uh, you know, a few hundred, uh, five, four, five, six hundred dollars from each paycheck every two weeks. It's a lot of money. And I went to my command representative who handled this. And he said, oh, I'm taking care of it. Don't worry about it. I said, no, of course he is. Why, not, why would I not believe him? Well, lo and behold, it was not taken care of at the next two-week pay period. So I said, hey, man, what's going on here? Oh, I've called them and them and this and that and blah, 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 blah. Okay. So when am I getting paid? He said, oh, you should see the next paycheck. Fine. So... I want another pay period. Still no money. By this time, I'm being sorted like, you know, thousands of dollars total. I said, dude, I got to get this money. It's uh, It's got to be in there. I mean, I'm taken out of my savings at this point to try to pay for my bills. Okay, no problem, no problem, no problem. Finally, next pay period comes around. No paycheck or uh, not the right paycheck. I go to my boss, who goes to his boss, and his boss goes to him, and he gives his boss the same BS line that he gave me in the first place. I'm working on it, some civilian, blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, my God. All right. Next pay period. Still no paycheck. Finally, I call a meeting with him, me, my boss, his boss, the whole nine. I was like, all right, here's the deal. Laid it out, all my documents, everything. And his boss picks up the phone, calls... It says, hey, uh, oh, before that, I had gone to that department that he was allegedly blaming. They'd never heard of him. He hadn't filed any paperwork that he had said he'd done. So at this meeting, I said, hey, this is the case. He never filed it. And he's lying. I said, okay, fine. The, his boss called over there. The problem was picked, fixed. And the next day, all the back pay and my correct paycheck was coming in. It was that easy. One phone call. That's all I had to do. Well, this guy retired from the military. By the way, when he left the command, when he left that command, he received a medal for doing his job. That's all. Just doing his job. Um, And now he's retired as a civilian doing the exact same job that he was supposed to be doing but not doing in the military. And I'm sure his level of service is not any better. This is our civilian employment structure because people who uh, people who stay in the military are generally you know they're good people but a lot of them who do careers are ones that have trouble moving on I'm not trying to downgrade people who've done their time in the Navy because a lot of people who are in the Navy for a long period of time really enjoy it and they're really into their country and they do the right thing but Many don't. Many ride out the system. Now, 
The civilian structure is the same way. It just assumes people who leave the military but don't want to get a job in the private sector. So we need to put a kibosh on this. It's costing us tons of money. And they're guaranteed jobs. You just can't get rid of them, too. If the department shuts down, you just got to move them around, generally. Or if the base shuts down or whatever, they just get moved around. And it just it's like an ever-expanding mushroom cloud. Folks, it's pretty bad. But I want to move on. Um, last thing I want to talk about is the education for officers. Now... Obviously, everybody knows that you have to have a college degree to be an officer, and um, it doesn't require much more beyond that. There's things that are recommended and, you know, that make you look good on your evals, but there really is no actual education uh, that you must have. So I believe the military would be far better off it was if it was run as a business, as I've said all day. This bloated bureaucracy... which we call the military essentially is run by the same people who run healthcare.gov so essentially healthcare.gov is responsible for protecting the nation so facto we're screwed you know a lot of these things I've talked about they would help the military they would really change a lot of things but I think business education for our officers would be huge now this is Take it as you will. I dropped out of college after 9-11, so I don't even have a undergrad. But I believe these things would help. I propose that progressing beyond 03, which is lieutenant in the Navy or uh, captain in the Army or Marines or whatever, um, you'd have to have an MBA. And I, this is something I was a firm proponent of. To be eligible for 05, you would be required to accept and successfully complete a one-year internship at a private business. In this internship, the officer's biannual evaluations, or the fitness reports we call fit rep in the, uh, in the Navy, would be written by the business executives. Somebody not in the military. Somebody who's in the private sector and requires understands the requirements to succeed in a non-bureaucratic situation. Very simply, if you couldn't get accepted and you couldn't successfully complete an internship to their liking, you would not be qualified to make rank. And I think if you wanted to move to the rank of general or admiral, the officer would again need to do the same process and seek another healthy evaluation from a business leader in a leadership position this time though in a management position if the officer failed in any of these they wouldn't be fit to excel in the military retirement would follow funded not by a 20 year retirement pension but a 401k system this is this is a problem that plagues us If we want the military to run like a business, our leaders have to think like businessmen. 
you know, our great historic military masterminds of the past succeeded based on their life experiences. Most of most of them were farmers, they blacksmiths, plantation owners, tradesmen. They were people. And as my buddy George Washington said, when we assume the soldier, we did not lay aside the citizen. Unfortunately, our soldiers have laid aside their citizen. And they've been caught up in the bureaucratic rotation. You know, the folks in previous military years were innovators. They didn't bark orders and just make rules. They rolled up their sleeves and got the job done. They figured it out. They thought outside the box. They didn't just fall in in line like a robot. Folks, we can change this through education and experience. But we need our, our leaders to think like businessmen. If they don't, we'll never succeed. Folks, I know I've kind of thrown a lot at you this, this episode. But if, if you like it, great. If not, I don't care. But read the article. Because I, I put it a lot better in the article. It's, it's uh, you know, a well-written piece that I've spent a lot of time on with a number of other people. So um, the bottom line is America's military is the, the world's foremost military power. But there's desperate need for change. And if we could just make these small common sense adjustments, we would be awesome. More, better. More gooder. And not to mention, we could save tons of money. Absolute tons of money. Folks, I want to thank you for listening. And a happy Veterans Day. For those of you who have served, thank you for your service. You're listening to The Sound of Freedom on Renegade Nation. This is Hig, logging out. Non-stop shock radio. The station that shocks you. Renegade.